All right. Start streaming. All right, let's get going here. Um, all right, going live. One second, one second, going live. All right, sorry about that. I got I'm doing sound guy too today. Hold on. All right, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 147. You should be in the neighborhood. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, uh, thank you, Lord, for this blessed old book we hold in our hands. Help us to be better fit to contend for it and to understand it and really appreciate it ourselves. So if we could start with love more of ourselves of this book, then, Lord, the rest of the things would take care of itself. So help us to love it more, Lord. You said, if a man love me, he will keep my words. May they be so precious to us that someone else would be drawn to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we had said that we believe the King James Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and preserved words of the living God. And in Psalm 12, 6, and 7, we said the Lord promised to purify his words seven times. And you'll see on your handout that um, the King James Bible was translated over a period of seven years, 1604 to 1611. That could be one way to interpret those seven times, because he said he purified it seven times. Um, It's interesting how you make pure words purer. You know, that's an interesting thing. Also, the King James Bible is the seventh line of English Bibles. So we could also say that purified line is the one God authorized, right? So um, you can jot these down if you want, but... The line of the King James Bible is the Tyndale's Bible. I mean, I guess I could write. We have Tyndale's Bible is in that line. And then we have uh, Matthew's Bible. And then we have Coverdale's Bible. And then the Great Bible. And then the Geneva Bible that the pilgrims took over with them. Bishop's Bible. And then the King James Bible. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So that's another way to consider the seven times that he purified his word, because there's seven English Bibles in the line that God authorized. He said he purified seven times. He translates it over a period of seven years, 1604 to 1611. Those are seven times. And he's the seventh line of English Bibles. Tyndale, I know my handwriting is atrocious. Tyndale, Matthew, Coverdale, the Great Bible, the Geneva Bible, Bishop's Bible, and then your King James Bible. King James Bible is also called the authorized version, right? It's also called the authorized version. Now I have your notes in front of me so I could give you the cheat sheet, right? Psalm 147, verse 19 The Bible says, verse 9, yeah, verse 19, He showeth his word unto Jacob. So God said he would show his word unto Jacob. The English name of Jacob is James. He showed his word unto James. Jacob means the supplanter, the one that would replace the one that went before it. The King James Bible replaces anything that's gone before it. He showeth his word unto Jacob. 
Proverbs 16.10. Again, you could turn to these if you want. If not, I'm just going to read it. Proverbs 16.10 says, A divine sentence is in the lips of a king. Right? Do you have the words of a king? He showed his word unto James. A divine sentence is in the lips of a king. King James Bible. Not by accident. And Ecclesiastes 8.4 says, Where the word of a king is, there is power. Is your Bible the word of a king? Amen. The message. You know, good news for modern man. NIV. Like all these things. I got the word of a king. And uh, that's where the power is. And we're developing a simple way to recall and explain the importance of the KJB, of the King James Bible, with the letters KJB. It helps me remember it, and I'm hoping it will help you remember it as a, as a type of mnemonic device. So K, we said, was for kept. We need to remember first that God promised to keep his words. If he promised to keep his words, where are they? If you think it's the message, then let's look at it. If you think it's the end, New King James, let's look at it. But one Bible must be the Bible or God is a liar. We're going to contend that it's the King James Bible. That's the one he promised to keep. And then J, J is for Jesus. And I'll explain what that means. That God's word, the one he kept, the one that has his hand upon it, will magnify and exalt Jesus Christ the highest. So my question is, which Bible does that the best? Which Bible presents Jesus Christ the best? Now look at John chapter 5. Do you think that the Father loves the Son? Amen. Amen? Of course. Let's just look at how the Father feels about the Son. John 5, 17 to 23. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but it said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son." And showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. All men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. So God thinks very highly of his Son. Right? God thinks very highly of his Son. In fact, he thinks so highly of his son that he bookends his ministry. His earthly ministry is bookended by the same statement. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He says it in Matthew 3, before he'd done any work at his baptism. And he says it in Matthew 17, when they take him up on the mountain at the end of his ministry. God bookends his ministry by saying, I am pleased with my son. I exalt my son. I magnify my son. I love my son. So... If Jesus Christ is to have the preeminence in all things in the church, shouldn't he be preeminent in the Bible believed by his church and used by his church and, and read by his church? And here's our key verse for this. Our key verse for K was 
Psalm 12, 6 and 7. That's like the key verse. Our key verse for J is Colossians 1.18. So let's read that before we launch off into an exploration here. Colossians 1.18. Colossians 1.18. Remember, each letter points to a word, and each word points to a truth about the King James Bible, the KJB. Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Preeminence in salvation, preeminence in your devotion, preeminence in your walk, and preeminence in the Bible that you say is the Word of God and read. I want the Bible that holds Jesus Christ up the highest, because that's going to be the one that God kept, because He loves His Son. He wouldn't smear the character of His Son in any way. So we're going to go through a bunch of tests. We're going to look at five things. We can look at 500 things. And those little pamphlets I gave you that have, like, let's compare Bibles in them, uh, and I have some more to give you next month, they kind of take it, and if you want to explore it and chase every rabbit trail, you could chase some of these things down and, and put some of these notes in your Bible and have them at your hands. We have more of them if you want to take them and give them to people. But I'm going to look at five things about Jesus Christ that the new Bibles smear in the King James Bible holds the clearest. Number one. Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh, right? Let's look at that. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16. And I need my NIV guy and my ESV guy to find that verse in their so-called Bibles. 1 Timothy 3, 16, right? You might know this verse already, but let's just look at it. Key verse. This is a verse to know if you're dealing with a false version, by the way. is a good check verse. 1 Timothy 3, 16 says... And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Couldn't be any clearer, right? I mean, clear statement. He's not a lesser God. He's not a prophet. He's not just a good man. He's God manifest in the flesh. What does it say in the NIV, Dan? Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh. He appeared in the flesh. Okay. Uh, Pete, you got it yet, Pete? I know it's small. I know, I know. Yes, sir. Yeah, it is. Is it highlighted? Did I highlight it? He was manifested in the flesh, right? I got one that I don't have the Bible with the New Century Version. He was shown in a human body. Haven't we all? There's a problem. There's a word missing. The word God is gone. What's so mysterious about showing up in a human body? You did this morning. Don't you appear in the flesh? <laughs> now go to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. Who's got the message? Find Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And Pete, I need you to find Micah chapter 5, verse 2 also. The rest of you could flip to Micah 5, 2. Micah 5, 2. All right. All right, show to Micah. All right. 
The Bible says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Does your Bible say everlasting, King James people? Of course. Amen. And Psalm 90 verse 2 says, From everlasting to everlasting thou art God. The Lord Jesus Christ is from everlasting because the Lord Jesus Christ is God. He's from everlasting. What does the message say? His family tree is ancient and distinguished, like Aristotle, Caesar, and Alexander the Great. A lot of people have distinguished family trees. Jesus Christ is from everlasting. Let's all turn to Philippians 2. I'm sorry, Pete, I, meant, I want you to go to Philippians 2. I'm sorry. I, I turned you to the ESV. But you turn to Philippians 2. And let's turn to Philippians 2, verse 5 and 6. Philippians 2, 5 and 6. Okay, Philippians 2, 5, and 6. Let's read it in our King James Bible, and then Pete will read it in the ESV. All right. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. God, Jesus Christ, did not think he was robbing God to be equal with God because he is God. He's not stealing his glory. He wasn't kind of dipping the colors. He could... Testify that he's God because he is God. He's not robbing God of any glory. But what does the ESV say? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's very different. So I, you don't have to answer this out loud, but... Which Bible gives Jesus Christ the preeminence as God? I mean, the King James Bible most clearly portrays our Savior as who He is. God manifests in the flesh. He, now, can you find that fundamental in those other Bibles? Yes. But why would you want it if it's busted it in one spot? I want the one that God is holding up Jesus Christ the highest in. Let's go to another truth about Jesus Christ. Let's talk about Jesus Christ as the virgin-born Son of God. Right? These are just fundamentals, right? Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is the virgin-born Son of God. Let's turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 33. Luke chapter 2, verse 33. And Ray, I think you have the, do you have the Holman Christian Standard? I, think, I need you to sift through that. Hold on, let me, let me read the King James first. I know you're excited. <laughs> And, and Mario, find the message, find that, all right? And let's read Luke 2.33, only brother, because we've got to hear, let's hear this contrast, ready? Luke 2.33 in a King James Bible reads, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which are spoken of him. Okay? The King James Bible is very careful to point out that Joseph was not his father. Joseph and his mother. What does it say, Ray? His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. His father. What does it say in the message, Mario? Jesus' father and mother were speechless. I'll read you the American Standard. And his father and mother were amazed. That's different. What's he got? That the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Right? It's pretty consistent. There might be some that are different. But... Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ was separate from sinners. The virgin birth made sure of that. 
that he'd be separate from sinners. Problem. By calling, Jesus, by calling Joseph his father, Jesus Christ becomes a sinner born to a human father, born in the fallen image of Adam. See, but it says it in other places. I know, but why would you want a Bible that says it in that place? Why would you want a Bible that's not as clear to hold up the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ? The King James Bible is very careful to never cross those streams. Now go to Acts chapter 4, 27. And everybody that's got a false version, even the New King James people, can turn to Acts 4, 27 as well. And let me, let's read it in the King James Bible first. Acts 4.27 in a King James Bible. Let's read it. I'll read it here in a King James Bible. For of a truth against thy holy... What's the King James Bible say next? Child Jesus. Holy child, not the parish you used to go to, right? The holy child Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's not just another servant like David or Peter, right? Right? You see verse number 25? It calls thy servant David, but 27, thy child Jesus. What's it say in the Holman Christian Standard, right? Didn't find that yet? Okay, I'll, I'll come back to you. NIV? Uh, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of the... Uh, wait, what am I doing? 327? Oh, no, 427. You there. I'm sorry. Yeah, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel and the city to conspire against your holy servant. Your holy servant. Your holy servant, Jesus. What's uh, the ESV say? You don't have it? It's okay. Uh, you got the New Living Translation? What's it say? Holy, what's it say in the New King James? Who's got the New King James? What's it say? For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Do you have it, Ray? Yes, sir. Uh, for in fact in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And do you have it now, Pete? Don't worry about it. It's Acts 4.27. It says, they all say servant. They've all changed child to servant. Even the new King James has changed child to servant. Why? The Bible makes it clear that he's the child. He's different than David who's called a servant in that context. He's the child Jesus, the son of God. All these other Bibles have just made him a sinner like David and just a servant. You say, well, that's subtle. Yeah, but that's how the serpent works. Yes. What does it say? Your holy servant. Holy servant, right? Because they wouldn't believe me. Right? Luke 2. No, thank you, Pete. Luke, uh, go to Luke 2.48. No, I, I do this because I want you to see it, and I want you to read it, Amen. right? Luke 2.48. We did this in the prison many years ago. We started reading this in the jail when we were ministering in the jail, and the place came unglued. We were in Arthur Kill Correctional Facility, and Pastor Mike was like, look, and they're closing the facility. What's the one thing we could teach these people? Let's teach on the King James Bible. So we just went there every night. We were going there. We were teaching on the King James Bible, and we brought these Bibles in. We had them read, and these guys had a riot. They were like going crazy. They were screaming, burn that thing, because they were from the street, and they knew when somebody was trying to pull the wool over their eyes. They were like, they were not refined. They were honest. They were just like, 
They're tricking us. Those liars. Look at it. They would, they, would, they would chant, burn it, burn it. And it was like, it was wild. It was a wild time. You guys are not, you're a little more reserved. All right. But, but it's good to see it yourself. Now, Luke 2.48, Luke 2.48, you don't have to turn in your other Bibles for this. In Luke 2.48, um, they find Jesus, right? They lost him. It says, when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my Father's, capital F, business? You see, Jesus Christ, the incarnate word, makes the distinction that Joseph is not my father. Oh, father. He said, Wait a minute, Mary. That's my father. Did you forget, Mary? That's my father. Well, shouldn't the written word of God make the distinction as well? If the incarnate word made the distinction that Joseph was not his father, then the written word should make the distinction that Joseph was not his father. And in Genesis 3.15, we don't have to flip there, but that is the first messianic prophecy in your Bible. God is promising a savior would be born of a virgin. He says to the woman, thy seed. Women don't have a seed. And it promises a virgin birth not past the third chapter, a virgin-born son of God would bruise the serpent's head. Let's all turn to Isaiah chapter 7. And Aaron, you turn to Isaiah chapter 7. Verse 14. Isaiah seven fourteen. Oh, I have it with me too. Is this it? Do I have it? Oh, I don't have it. Isaiah 7, 14. What's the sign? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. That's the miracle, right? <laughs> revised Standard Version. Behold, a young woman shall conceive. What's it say in your Revised English Bible, Aaron? Because you do, the Lord of his own accord will give you a sign. It is this. A young woman is with child how is that a miracle that a young woman's with child? How is that a miracle that a young maiden's with child? I got the New World Translation. They say the maiden herself will actually become pregnant. These versions are lining up with the Jehovah's Witnesses that are trying to tear Jesus Christ down. Where is the miracle in a woman becoming pregnant? It's a blessing, but it's not a miracle. It's a natural process that God ordains, but it's not a miracle. It's a miracle when a virgin who's never been with a man becomes pregnant. And that's what God promised. Matthew chapter 1, if you want to flip over there, that's the miracle. Matthew 1, verse uh, 22, the miracle is that, now all this was done that it might be filled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, the prophet Isaiah, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. And shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Question, again, don't answer out loud. Which Bible best presents Jesus Christ as the sinless, virgin-born son of God? Again, it's the King James Bible. He's separate from sinners. He's not touched by the sin of Adam because he's virgin-born. The King James Bible doesn't ever dip the colors, but these other books sure do. Number three. Again, I just got five. Number three, Jesus washes us through his blood, right? 
His blood is important, right? Jesus is the Savior whose blood can wash away your sin. Hallelujah. Let's all turn to Acts 20, 28. Important verse, Acts 20, 28. Again, I'm just exploring five of these with you. You could explore a lot more. Acts 20, 28. Acts 20, 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Whose blood is Jesus' blood? God's blood. That was God's blood that ran in Emmanuel's veins. God with us. You say, how'd that happen? I don't know. When you figure it out, let me know. But God took on blood, flesh and blood. How go, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, 18. 1 Peter 1, 18. For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's God's blood, it's precious blood. Because it's the only one that could do the job. I mean, how much money has been spent on a vaccine for COVID? I mean, billions and billions of dollars to supposedly save your short physical life, and it doesn't even work. <laughs> the Fauci ouchie, well, it doesn't even work. I mean, it works a little bit sometimes, sort of. I don't know. I'm, I don't, I'm going on YouTube, so I don't want to have my ch channel taken down. But, you know, that lollipop, you know, seems like it's doing a lot more harm than good. Right. And they keep pushing it. How much talk about it? You get the thing yet? You get the Fauci ouchie yet? You get the jab yet? You get the shot yet? You get your boost? There's all this talk about it. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. The blood of Jesus Christ saves your eternal life. People go crazy about a shot that might save your short physical life that's maybe, maybe another 10, 20, 30 years. The blood of Jesus Christ saves your eternal life. Amen. Let's look at Colossians 1.14. And as we turn to Colossians 1.14, I need Danny and Ray and Pete to find Colossians 1.14 in their so-called Bibles. Colossians 1.14. Let's read it in the King James Bible, and then we'll hear from the guys, uh, or from our readers in the other Bibles. Colossians is in the Bible, right? New Testament, there we go. It says, in whom we have redemption. What does your King James Bible say? Through his blood. The blood is everything. All right? We preach the blood. We sing about the blood. It's a bloody book. It's a bloody faith. It's a slaughterhouse religion. I, what Bible have you read? Those Jews had blood-stained sand all around that altar. We have a blood-stained book that we hold in our hands. And we preach a bloody gospel about a Savior who shed blood. We don't have an unbloody letting of Calvary every Sunday, like so-called churches do. 
We'll have an unbloody sacrifice. That's a paradox. That's like jumbo shrimp. Unbloody Calvary? Right? That's, that cross was stained with Emmanuel's blood. That floor was stained with Jesus Christ's blood. That thing went down into the earth, and that blood cried to the ground that speaketh better things than that of Abel, whose blood cried to God from the ground. It's the blood. NIV. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Ray? We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. Pete? In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In every verse, the blood is gone. The blood is gone. Now, everybody talked about that vaccine. You get the shot yet? You get the shot yet? You get the shot yet? Commercials, advertisements, doctors pushing it, people trying to give you a free burger at Shake Shack if you get the shot, all this crazy stuff to get the shot because they thought it was a lifesaver or their other nefarious agendas, whatever it was. Don't you think God, his spirit, and his people would make mention of the blood every chance they got? Right? Why would you take the blood out if that's the life-saving element that God has to give you? I'm going to give you a reason why they might take it out. Let's all go to Revelation 12. Amen. Revelation 12. Revelation 12, 9. I'm just trying to draw comparisons. I'm not trying to beat up on medicine right now, but I'm just, I am, I guess I am, but it's a great comparison, you know? It's like 24-8, you're getting this thing pushed. I never saw the chickenpox vaccine get pushed like that or the, or the mumps vaccine get pushed like that. But this one was shoved down our throat that, you know, life was going to be normal. You get birthday cakes with grandma again after you got your 14th booster. But now we got Bibles taking out the real life-saving blood, right? If people are going to talk about a shot, why wouldn't God talk about the blood every chance he got? Every, you got the blood? Are you washed in the blood? You have the blood? Did the blood save your soul? Is it through the blood? God's spirit wouldn't stop talking about the blood. But another spirit would, start, would want to stop talking about the blood. Revelation 12, 9 says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. This is a bloody book. And I know of one person that would like to get rid of the blood any chance he could, even if it was just in one verse, because it's the blood that is going to destroy him and be his undoing. Number four. Let's go to Luke 23. Everybody can go there in their Bibles. Jesus is the Lord who calls upon everybody, who saves everybody that calls upon him. Amen? Amen. Luke 23. Let's look at verse 42. Luke 23. And actually, you know what? I was wrong. We're all going to turn there, but I need Danny to turn there also, Pete, Ray, Eugene, Mario, Aaron. Okay, you turn to Luke 23, 42 as well. Let's read what it says in the King James Bible. Luke 23, verse 42. This is the thief on the cross, right? Great preaching, 
go to the rescue mission, could always preach about the thief on the cross. On the street, you could always preach about the thief on the cross. Got a religious person, you always turn to the thief on the cross. And Luke 23, 42 says, And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Amen. Notice how the thief called upon Jesus Christ. And look at the Lord's response, paradise. Romans 10, 9 and 10 are very famous verses. Verse 13. Let me ring it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Romans 10, 9 and 13. We turn to those verses all the time when we want to show somebody how to get saved. Right? The Lord Jesus. And like that thief, salvation comes to anyone who calls on the name of the Lord for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. NIV. Then he said, Hey, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Holman Christian Standard. Ray, you got it? Oh, uh, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Pete? Yeah, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Eugene? Mario? Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter the kingdom. Aaron? And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come to your throne. The Lord is gone. Lord is gone. They changed the name and the identity of the one you called upon to get saved. Because the Savior's name is the Lord Jesus Christ. His name is a trinity. Lord points to the Father, Jesus points to the Son, and Christ points to the Spirit. Christ is the heavenly title, the anointed one. But Satan has a Christ too. Jesus is his earthly name. It's the name of a man. But we've got our own Jesus in the congregation too. Lord is is his power and his authority. That's who Jesus Christ really is. He is Lord. And in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, there is one Lord. As far as God's people are concerned, there is one Lord. And his designation as Lord has to do with his deity and his authority. That's what you're calling upon. The one who's got power over death. The one that could save your soul from death. Why would God's word detract from Jesus Christ's authority to save your soul? Why would you just turn it to, hey, Jesus, hook a brother up? Right? Except Jesus, Lord, he recognized there was something different about this man dying on that cross. He wasn't an ordinary man, Jesus. He was Jesus, the Lord, dying on that cross. You know, in 1911, there was something called the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire in New York City. It is the deadliest industrial disaster in the history of New York City and one of the deadliest in U.S. history. This fire caused the deaths of 146 garment workers, 123 women, and 23 men. The owners locked the doors and stairwells. They removed and blocked the way of escape. That's why so many people perished. Question, could these versions be doing the same thing? 
blocking the way of escape, taking out the blood, changing him from Jesus Lord to just Jesus, and just diluting the gospel so that souls perish? Let's go to Philippians 2, verse 10. Philippians 2.10. Philippians 2.10. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee's going to bow. Even Satan's going to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Who would have a problem with confessing Jesus as Lord? Not you. Hopefully not me. Not the Spirit of God. The Bible says no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost, 1 Corinthians 12, 3. The Holy Spirit wants you to confess Him as Lord, wants you to call upon Him as Lord. But there's another spirit that doesn't like the fact that Jesus is Lord and knows His day is coming. And if you can find a way to kind of remove it, He'll try to get it out of your Bible. Please, folks, don't be so gullible. Don't be so stupid. You're up against the most nefarious creature in the universe. You think he's going to just like show up with pitchfork and horns and say, oh, here I am. I'm going to get you. Jesus is fake. No, he's going to just... Too easy. He's just going, a word here, a verse there, and you just watch. And he just... That's the trail of the serpent in those revisions. They have a trend. And finally... Jesus, the morning star. This is my favorite one. Jesus, the morning star. Jesus Christ is the morning star. Let's all turn to Revelation 22. Everybody turn to Revelation 22. Revelation 22. I'm almost done. Revelation 22. Verse number... 16, Jesus Christ is speaking. He says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So according to God's word, class, here's, you can participate now. Who is the morning star? Jesus Christ. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. And Aaron, I need you to turn to Isaiah 14. Ray, if you could turn to Isaiah 14. And Danny, if you could turn to Isaiah 14. Verse 12. The rest of us will all turn to Isaiah 14, 12. Again, what was the, what's the name of Jesus? Who's the morning star? Jesus Christ. Got it? We got that. Okay. Isaiah 14, 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? What is the name of Lucifer? What is it? What's his name? Son of the morning. morning. What's Jesus' name? Morning Morning star. So Jesus is the morning star, and according to the Bible, Lucifer, the son of the morning, fell from heaven. Okay? Aaron, what's your Bible say? Bright morning star, how you have fallen from heaven. What's yours say, Ray? Danny? Oh, I'm sorry, Ray. Thank you, Ray. Danny, what about you? Who fell from heaven in these Bibles? The morning star fell from heaven. But Revelation tells me that Jesus is the morning star. Do you really want a version that attributes the same title to Lucifer and Jesus Christ? 
That for me right there settles it all. When I saw that years ago, I was like, I'm done. No way. I ain't touching that thing. I don't want a book that even for whatever reason, whatever manuscripts, whatever explanation you have, calls Jesus and Lucifer the same thing? And to read about Mormons who think Jesus and Lucifer are brothers? Interesting, right? Let's look at Isaiah 14, 13. Would you really buy a Bible that aligns God with the devil? You just think about that. Well, it's just a, it's just a word. <laughs> what if I wrote a book and I called your father Hitler? Right? I just thought I'd call him Hitler. You'd be like, oh, I don't want that's, a, that's an offense. Yeah, it's an offense. And people get on me like, oh, don't be so hard in the King James Bible. You know what? I'm offended at your Bible. I'm offended that you have a Bible that calls my Savior and the devil the same name. I'm offended. I'm not really going to get upset, offended, but how come we can't get offended? How come God can't get offended at a book that aligns his blessed son with the enemy of, his, of everything that's good and righteous? Isaiah 14, 13. What's the devil all about? What's his motivation? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation, the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. What does the enemy want? He wants to be like the most high. And you think it's an accident that that version calls Jesus and Lucifer the same thing? That's no accident. That's what the enemy wants. He wants to be aligned and compared to Jesus Christ. You know, there are these people out there called Luciferians. Not Rastafarians. They grow their hair long. But Luciferians, right? They worship Lucifer right? And Lucifer is seen as the hero in their system, not the villain. I'm going to read you a quote from some of their writings or about them. Quote, Lucifer in this context is seen as one of many morning star, a symbol of enlightenment, independence, and human progression, and is often used interchangeably with similar figures from a range of ancient beliefs, such as the Greek titan Prometheus or the Jewish figure Lilith. According to Helena Blavatsky, who was a great proponent of this in the late 19th century, she wrote a theosophical glossary. She was a big uh, uh, stalwart of the New Age movement, a really big foundational you know, proponent of New Ageism. And Madame Blavatsky, as she's often called, writes, quote, the Christian Savior is made to say of himself in Revelation 22, I am the bright morning star, or Lucifer. The Christians, without suspecting the real meaning, greeted the morning star, Venus, Lucifer. The Trinity was in truth composed of the Son, the Father, Venus, the Holy Ghost, and Lucifer as Christ, the bright and morning star. The verbum, the word, and Lucifer are one. You want a Bible that lines up with that trash? Have at it. Dr. Frank Logson was the co-founder of the New American Standard Version. He was on the committee, and he said, said, as people began confronting Dr. Logson on some of the serious omissions in the New American Standard, which was a very popular Bible in America, he re-examined the evidence, and this was his verdict, quote, I must, under God, denounce every attachment to the New American Standard Version. I'm afraid I'm in trouble with the Lord. I wrote the format. I wrote the preface. I'm in trouble. 
It's wrong, terribly wrong. It's frighteningly wrong. The deletions are absolutely frightening. There are so many. Are we so naive that we do not suspect satanic deception in all of this? What does 2 Corinthians 2 say, if you want to flip there? 2 Corinthians 2 says this. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says... 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You're in a war, and to defeat your enemy, your target is their communication. Don't be ignorant of his devices. He's after the word. Let's finish in Genesis 3. I'm just going to read this, and then we'll close. Genesis 3, verse 1. Notice this little outline here in Genesis 3.1. How's the approach? What are his devices? How does he move? What is the trail of the serpent? How does he deal with the Bible? Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more subtle. Notice the approach is subtle. It's thin. It's sly. It's refined. It's deceitful. It's not obvious. And it's not detectable. That's the approach. It ain't whole chapters getting changed. Word here, phrase there, here a little, there a little. He says, and he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, the approach is subtle and the attack is Scripture. He's after what God said. Not after the message, not after the meaning, not after what you think about him. He attacks the Scripture. He attacks what God said. That's his angle. Verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. You know, 80% of what he said is God's word, and only 20% is wrong. He just slips that one little word not in. So the approach is subtle, the attack is scripture, and the adjustments are small. It's just a word here or a word there. Because he doesn't want to be detected, he wants to remain covert. He's not going to charge in and just say, you know, Jesus is the devil. He's just going to move a little word here or there. Genesis 3, 5. For God doth know that in the day thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. The approach is subtle. The attack is scripture. The adjustments are small, and the aim is subversive. It is to erode the foundation of who Jesus Christ really is, to lift you up, and to pull him down, to make you as gods, and to make him less of the God that he is. Ephesians 3 says that unto Jesus Christ be glory in the church, right? We're supposed to bring our church, any church, the church universal and the church local. We have one mission. Our mission is to bring glory to our Savior, Jesus Christ, to make Him great, to make Him famous, to make Him just altogether lovely, to show the world and each other how glorious He is. Question, does your Bible bring Jesus Christ the glory He rightfully deserves? As God, as virgin born, as the one whose blood has the power to save, as Lord Almighty, as the morning star, or does it dip it anywhere? If it dips it anywhere, it isn't the Bible God approves of. Dr. Frank Logson, who made those statements about the New American Standard, said this, quote, You can say the authorized version is absolutely correct. How correct? 100% correct. If you must stand against everyone else, stand. And if you've got to be the only person holding on to the truth, 
be the only person holding on to the truth. Even among the so-called brethren, be the only one holding on to the truth. So we're going to close there. I'm going to ask you for next month to review your notes, maybe review those handouts. I'm even going to send you a documentary called A Lamp in the Dark, which is a great documentary about the untold history of your Bible, if you want to check that out. Next time, we'll get into the manuscripts and stuff like that. And uh, thank you so much for being here, your attention, and coming out this morning as a blessing. And everybody who brought food, thank you so much. Lord, thank you so much for this day, for these dear folks. I pray, Lord, we receive this information, Lord, with the right spirit. Help us to stay humble. Help us to be gracious. But help us, Lord, if we must stand against everyone else, help us to stand for your book, the King James Bible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.